Welcome to Evangelistic Center Church. Let me ask you a question. How many of you really enjoy taking tests in school? If anybody would raise your hand, I'd have thrown something at you. If you raise your hand, then we need to have somebody bring you down front so we can lay hands on you and pray if you said you like tests. Because nobody likes tests. So either you're loony or you're just trying to look showy in church. I don't know which. I don't like tests. And here's the reason that I don't like tests. Because the same thing happens every time I take a test. Every time. When I was in college, the professor would hand me a test. I would look at the first question. And at the first question, I would realize that I didn't study enough. First question. I would look at the first question, and that would, that would actually direct my attitude the rest of the test. Because if I knew question one, then I thought, okay, I'm going to do okay. If I couldn't get question one, then I was shot. I couldn't even read the rest of the test. I'd just scroll through there. And, and I've told you before, this is complete transparency in church. It's in church. You know, I ain't lying to you. Uh, in one of my electrical physics classes, I made a nine on a test, and that was not out of ten. And, uh, and I think you got five for your name. And so it was bad. I struggled uh, early on in college with, with some of those math. Man, that was crazy. Um, but I don't like tests because I panic, I think. If I read the first question, I can't answer it, then I panic. And then I'll drop down and read question two, and I panic a little bit more. And at some point about question five, I've just completely started trying to rationalize Okay, what can I make on the next test so that I make a good grade in the class? That's sort of how, that's sort of how that works for me. Um, so I just read, I write some stuff down, I turn it in, and I get that 12 on the test, and then I, you know, I go to the next class. Uh, actually, I had that one class. After that nine, I just re-enrolled for next semester. There wasn't any point in continuing. Uh, but I, I hate the feeling that I get when, I, when there's something that I don't know that I'm supposed to know. Not just in school, but, but if there's something that I'm supposed to know but I don't know, then it stresses me out. I, I don't like that feeling. Um, I was sitting at a pharmacy one time years ago. It was before any of y'all even knew me. But I was sitting at a pharmacy one time, and this dad, and actually I knew him. He didn't see me, but I knew him. But this dad came in. Now, you ladies, you're going to, I know y'all are going to laugh, and I'm going to watch to see how many of you elbow your husbands with this. But I was sitting at the pharmacy, and this dad came in to pick up medicine for his daughter. And so the pharmacist said, okay, can I get your daughter's, day, your daughter's date of birth? Dude panicked. And he could not pull it out of the archives. It was not in there. And part of me was sort of chuckling, but then the rest of me was like, man, I feel sorry for that dude because he is wanting to crawl under a chair. So, I mean, he completely was like a deer in the headlights. He just froze. And so then the lady started trying to look up. Well, finally, it's like the nerves went away, and he was able to, he was able to retrieve that, that date. But, man, I hate that kind of stuff. I, I hate not knowing something that I'm supposed to know. Don't you? If you know you're supposed to know it, don't you hate when you don't know? Um, I want to read you a story this morning. And this story is about some people that were supposed to know something, and they didn't. This story is about people that we just laughed about, that are supposed to know something they didn't know. I'm going to read you the story out of Matthew chapter 9. You probably already know what I'm going to read to you. Matthew chapter 9, start at verse 10. While he was reclining at a table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples. 
When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? I mean, that's a question, right? Why are you eating with those people? And Jesus heard it. Now, you know any time in Scripture when it says, and Jesus heard it, something bad's fixing to happen to the other guy, right? When Jesus heard it, he said, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray over the word today. Lord, we are grateful to be in your house today, Father, and I'm grateful for the joy that I believe is in, in this church today. And, and Lord, we are humbly before you at your word, and we ask that you would make this passage in Matthew, that you'd make it alive to us, that you would teach us by your word, Father, that we would be men and women who take this word and, and we dwell on it, we meditate on it, we put it into practice in our lives, Father, that it may grow fruit in us. Lord, we thank you for it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in Matthew chapter 9, if you go back and you read it, everything that Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 9 is good. He's doing, he's casting demons out. He's, you know, he's just going about doing stuff that Jesus did. He was doing good things. And you'll find if you go back in Matthew 9, he's healing the sick. He's setting people free from bondages. He's communing with people, fellowshiping with, fellowshipping with them. He's eating with sinners. You know, he's doing things with people that the world uh, or that the society at the time didn't have a lot of use for. That's what he was doing. And so Jesus is, is interacting with the people and doing all these good things. And at the same time, the keepers of the law, uh, the Pharisees, you hear preachers talk about Pharisees all the time. They're the religious elite. They're the folks of the day that were supposed to know what was going on in terms of the law, the word, relationship with the Lord. And so these people... The ones who, these were those who looked the part. They were, you know, they were dressed right. If you read in scripture, you'll find a, a really long word and it's phylacteries. If you've ever seen that in the King James, starts with P-H-L-Y, phylacteries. They, that was really their religious garb, their robes, prayer shawls, all the things that they had on. These people were, they were the ones that got everything right. They knew the law. They were the ones that everybody looked up to. And yet, these are the people who ask the question, why is Jesus eating with those folks? That's the people that are questioning. These are the people that are supposed to know. These are folks that, that, that have been entrusted with the word to proclaim it to the people. And yet, they see Jesus eating with, and when I say this, I'm using it as an illustration. I'm going to talk about these people the way that they did. Jesus is eating with commoners and sinners and people who were very undesirable, and the religious folks could not understand why anybody would spend time with those people. You probably remember a story similar when you read that there was a Pharisee praying in the temple, and he tells God, thank you that I'm not like this guy, the man that was beside him worshiping and kneeling and praying before the altar. y'all remember that story? So you kind of get a gist of how the Pharisees looked at people. All that they could do was they could see that he's dining with the sinners, He's hanging out with the sinners, and they thought it was shameful. Like, why would this guy, doesn't he know better? Doesn't he know who he's hanging out with? The, the Pharisees considered him dirty and worthless, people that nobody should have anything to do with. And so they even went so far, this was kind of the custom, that even making contact, contact with people like this, it made you unclean as a Jew. 
If you touch them, now you're unclean. You are ceremonially unclean. And the Pharisees were so caught up in religion that they were blinded by who Jesus was. They had no idea who was in their presence, and they couldn't understand what he was there to do. And they even went so far, now you can tell me if you think this would be serious, but they go so far that they even accuse Jesus of being a drunk and a glutton. Now, how many of you would like to enter heaven after accused Jesus of being a glutton and a drunk? I saw a, a minute, I, I say the word minister very lightly. He's very popular now on social media with young people, and he, he is convinced that Jesus sinned, but you should follow him because he repented. I got news for you. Jesus never sinned. He's not Jesus if he sinned. Amen? Well, these people were accusing him of being a sinner. And by the way, that man who thinks he's a minister, he needs to get saved. I can tell you where he's going to wind up, and it won't be cool there. They called Jesus a drunkard and a glutton, and Jesus knows it. And listen to what he said just a couple of chapters later. I'm going to tell you how Jesus talked about it. He said, this Jesus speaking of himself, he says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard. A friend, they call this, this was supposedly an insult, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by their needs. See, Jesus, Jesus knew what was going on with the Pharisees. Jesus heard the Pharisees talking to his disciples. He heard them say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And so Jesus addresses their accusations directly. He answers the question for the disciples, and he gives a very profound and important answer. Now, this is what Jesus says. And it's, it's what Jesus says that I want to focus on with you today. So if you go back to verse 12 of Matthew 9, this is what Jesus says. Now, when he heard this, he said, It's not for those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. The well don't need a doctor. It's sick folks. And then he says, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, because I didn't come to call righteous people. I came for the sinners. I came for the sinners. Those who are well and don't need a doctor is profound. Uh, Pastor Tony Evans, he calls it a rescue mission. He says this was a mission of rescue because doctors don't go visit well people. Even back in the day when doctors did house calls, I know they don't really do that anymore. But back in the day, doctors didn't stop by houses of people that were well. He sought out those sick folks. If you're sick, you need a doctor. And if you're well, you don't. And the Pharisees, they thought that spiritually that they were well. And so when Jesus says, I didn't come for the well, I guarantee you they knew that he had just said, I didn't come for you. I didn't come for you. Now, I don't know if you can sense the, the, the importance, the seriousness, the magnitude of that statement, but I can't imagine Jesus looking at me and saying, I didn't come for you. I'm not here for you. I came for these people over here because they're the ones who are sick. Now, Jesus wasn't speaking derogatory of them. He was merely saying they recognize that they are sick. And this is just, this is just a, a way for, to describe people that needed a Savior and those who thought they didn't. 
I'm not here for you, but I came for these sick folks. The reason I'm eating with them is because I'm for them. And, and then he goes a step further, and Jesus pulls out all the stops, and I can't help but think, I can't help but think that at this point that Jesus isn't super frustrated. Did y'all know that Jesus got frustrated with folks? How many of y'all has he been frustrated with? No, don't answer that. Jesus was doing good and healing and communing and forgiving, and they could not see it. They were blinded because they thought they were well. And then Matthew 9, 13 happens, and we can't miss the importance of what happens in verse 13. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinners. That's another way of Jesus saying, I didn't come for the well folks. I came for the sick. I asked you a little bit earlier if you like taking tests. And I told you I don't like them because it always seemed like there was something I didn't know that I was supposed to know. There was something that I should have known in order to pass that test. And I joke a lot about that test score that I got in physics. But that was stressful at the time. I mean, I had student loans, and, and I was going to have to pay them back if I failed. I mean, there was a lot of difficulty at that time. I wasn't married. I was just young, and, and I struggled with it. And, and I think what's going on here is, is something in the supernatural that these people weren't grasping because the Pharisees had no idea what the answer to the question was when Jesus said, do you know why I'm here? They should have known because they were the experts in the law, but they did not know. The Pharisees didn't know why he was dining with sinners. And it's easy for us over 2,000 years later, it's easy for us to, uh, to look at what he said and think that they don't really sound all that harsh. But I want you to grasp this thought today. When Jesus says, go and learn what this means, he was directly rebuking the Pharisees. He is essentially saying this. And this is how I, we would say it today. This is what we would say to our children who didn't do something that they knew better to do. He, he was essentially saying this, you ought to know this stuff. And I expect that he probably said it kind of like that. You really ought to know this. I mean, we tell that to our children if, they, if they've been taught and they don't do it right. I mean, we've all raised kids. Rusty and I chuckle because when our kids get to raise kids, we're going to sit back and grin and say, I warned them this was coming. And I can promise you, all you young people, I can promise you, you will raise yourself. Yeah, Caitlin knows. She's currently raising herself. I give my daughter, Samantha, a lot of trouble, but she is just like me. The word also says, Dad, not to provoke your children to wrath. <clears throat> I've been waiting to use that one for six years. <clears throat> Brandon, you missed it while I sang just like you while you were gone. It sounded good. Ooh. Was that close? It was close. 
See, I don't like doing this because y'all aren't going to remember today's sermon. You're just going to remember that I acted like a goober. He rebukes these Pharisees. And really what he's saying to them is, you ought to know better. You're the one teaching the law, so you should know. And I can promise you, the people that, and I'm not saying, because obviously the, the Bible tells us that God is love. So don't think I'm, I'm, I'm not canceling that out. But, but people who think that Jesus just walked around with his head down and, and uh, he never, you know, said a harsh word, you don't know about Jesus. Because when Jesus interacted with people like this, I can promise you he said, you ought to know this. And he did it righteously, but he let them know, this is what you should know. Really what he was saying is, how can you consider yourself to be an expert in the law, but you have no idea what I'm doing? And, and, and now this is beautiful because he's telling them that they, know, they should know the law, and then guess what he does? He goes into the Hebrew Scriptures and he quotes it to them because they didn't know it, and they should. He quotes Hebrew, uh, excuse me, he quotes Hosea 6.6. 6. Let me read you Hosea 6.6. 6. For I desire faithful love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Isn't that what he just said? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And then Jesus quotes Hosea. I desire love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God, not burnt offerings. And, and then it even goes further because Hosea's rebuke sounds like the Lord's rebuke of King Saul in 1 Samuel 15. Let me read you what Samuel, God's representative, let me read you what Samuel said to King Saul in 1 Samuel 15, 22. Then Samuel said, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams, for rebellion is like the sin of divination. And folks, if you don't know that this is serious business, that line ought to make you scared. <laughs> rebellion is like divination. That's witchcraft. And defiance is like wickedness and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord and he has rejected you, Saul, as king. He has rejected Saul as king because Saul knew what he was to do and he didn't do it. And so God puts him in the category of witchcraft. I bet you can know what God thinks about witchcraft. So this is the gist of what's happening here. It's like God is saying to Israel and to King Saul and to these Pharisees, don't miss this church, take this home with you. Write this on the table of your heart. It's like that, that Christ is saying to these Pharisees, don't think that you can live however you want to and reject my word and then show up and offer a sacrifice and think everything's okay. Because see, ultimately that's what was happening. They would live however they want. Those Pharisees, they had no idea what was at the heart of the law. The only thing they knew was the letter of the law itself. They did not know the God behind it. And so you can go live like the devil all year, and then you can come into the temple at the time of the sacrifice, and then you can offer a sacrifice and say, okay, well, you know, my heart is far from God, but I offered the sacrifice, so I'm good. You can't do that. That's not how God operates. Let me read you Matthew 15. Still further in the book of Matthew, I begin in Matthew 9. We're in Matthew 15. Let me read verse 7 through 9 to you real quick. These are also Jesus' words. If you have your Bible, it's in red. This, these are Jesus' words. 
And his first word is hypocrite. I don't want him calling me a hypocrite. How about you? Hypocrites, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you. Here's what Isaiah said about you. Talking to the Pharisees, listen to this. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, and they teach as doctrines human commands. This is what he's saying. There are people, and these Pharisees were these people. There are people who preach one thing, and then they do something else. He's talking about people who say the right things, and they don't live it. He's talking about people who will get on Facebook. And and, and before I say this, I am not thinking specifically of anyone here. If you did this on your Facebook page, I probably didn't see it. But if the Spirit convicts you of it, don't be mad at me. But it's like people who get on Facebook and they'll take a picture of their coffee in their Bible and they've done this verse today and they put it on there so everybody knows what they've done. But then when they go down, they go to work, they don't do what their boss says. They show up late. They cheat on their time card. They do everything they can to weasel out of their taxes. They never give a dollar to anybody less fortunate to them. But bless God, they've got that verse posted on their Facebook wall. And I know this is hard preaching, but somebody's got to tell folks that are doing that, that Christ would say to you, you ought to know better. You should know better than to do this. And hey, listen, when I'm writing this sermon, don't think I was only thinking about you all. I'm thinking about Noah too. Because I don't want to be in this camp. He calls them phonies. I mean, you don't, we don't like that word, but I don't know how else to describe when Jesus calls folks a hypocrite. He says, you're a phony. And you're a phony if your actions and your attitudes are not sincere. If we have hearts that love the world and that do not love God, then we're phony. If our love and our loyalty is placed in anything other than Jesus Christ, then our hearts are far from him, and Jesus says, then you're a hypocrite. See, you and I do not get to establish the agenda. The Bible establishes the agenda. Amen? Y'all mad at me yet? I got time. I was listening to, uh, I listened to a, a sermon this week, and it really, this is not my notes, I'm going to drift for just a second. I listened to a sermon this week, and it really challenged me. And I'm not going to tell you who the minister was, because some of you would probably judge the message if I told you the minister, and I don't want you, I just want you to judge the message, not the minister. He said that, that he had grown really weary of preachers with an exclamation, with a quotation marks, of preachers who preach this sugary, syrupy, God loves everybody kind of sermons every week. And there's a, there's a famous sermon by a man named Jonathan Edwards, and the sermon is called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And Jonathan Edwards was inspired by the Puritans, and what the Puritans were really good at is they challenged people to see who they were without Christ. And they preached that hell is hot, and that if you don't surrender your heart to Christ, then that's where you go. And there comes a point 
when in every church that preachers have to tell people, if you haven't surrendered your heart, all the other stuff that you are doing will not get you to heaven. See, I'm not caring for you if I don't tell you. And you can say, well, you know, Pastor Noah, I wish sometimes you'd preach something a little more encouraging. I had some folks visit me. They left the church. It's been several years. Most of you probably wouldn't even know them. And they told me, Noah, you just don't preach deep enough. And my question was, what's deep? I mean, tell me what's deep. Because I want to tell you, church, the, the Bible says that broad is the way that leads to destruction. And narrow is the way that leads to life. And my preaching is not be like me. I, I'm going to just take all the mystery out of this. If you try to be like me, you will go to hell. You need to be like Jesus. Now, one more illustration. All this is not in my notes. Where's Christopher? Is he in here? Don't, he's going to beat me up tomorrow, but that's okay. Somebody used this illustration. I don't know who it was, but they said this. The road to hell and the road to heaven both have the same signs. Both roads say this way to heaven. That's profound to me. Because there are people that are wandering down that wide road looking at all the signs, this way to heaven, this way to heaven, and then they're going to get somewhere, and I can't help but think that Christ is going to say, you should have known. You know when he says, that, depart from me, you, I, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of iniquity. See, I think he was talking about these Pharisees because they said, I can't understand why you would stoop so low, Jesus, to eat with those people. That's the dregs of society. You're over there eating with prostitutes and tax collectors, drunkards, gluttons. Why are you over there? And Christ says, you don't know. I didn't come for, for well people. I'm here for sick folks. I didn't come for righteous people. I didn't come for judgmental, self-righteous people who think because I have a Bible verse in my Facebook profile and I got a fish on the back of my car and I wear Christian t-shirts and I go to church once a month or so, then everything's good. That's never the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that God doesn't look for sacrifice. He looks for the heart. He looks for people that have sold out to his agenda and to his will. The call to Christianity church is a call to surrender. And I'm going to I want to be very transparent. I I went to the hospital a couple years back and I witnessed to a lady and ever since I did I have fretted over it because I don't think I I don't think I did it right. Because I don't think that I impressed up on her enough that being saved is not praying a prayer. Did you know the Bible never tells you to pray a prayer? Never. You can't find it. And maybe you're thinking right now, well, in Romans it says that if you shall confess with your mouth. Yeah, that's just confessing that he's Christ. That's not pray a prayer. See, Christianity is a call to surrender. Christianity is a call to completely change the way that you think about sin and to set your heart on serving the Lord and allowing the Holy Spirit to wash over you and empower you to walk according to his will and allow his word to be a lamp into your feet and a light into your path. Pharisees looked the part. 
But all they could do was focus on ceremony. And Jesus was telling them, guys, you ought to know better. You're neglecting the heart of the law. You're neglecting the moral precepts of the law. And all you have done is become a judgmental, self-righteous people. And, and this is so far off what Christ wanted them to be and so far off from what he taught that Jesus said, you guys ought to know better. Because the call to Christianity, church, is a call to surrender. It's a call to give your heart and your life over to God. And you and I, we don't get to, we do not get to invite Christ to move into our home and then say, you know what? You can have the living room and the utility room and the garage and the kitchen. And you can have the bathrooms and you can have all three bedrooms. But there's a closet down on the end of that hallway and don't go in there. Because then we might as well just say, yeah, I got this figured out. And, and someday, and, and I, I promise you I, hope you, I hope you know my heart in this. I, I am not, none of this, the last thing I would ever want was for anybody to say, I'm going to try to be like Noah. Please don't ever do that. I'm just trying to point you to him. I'm just a, I'm just a, I'm just a man that begged for bread trying to tell you where I found it. It's all I'm trying to do. And I was telling Chris that this week. I would love to get up here. I would love it. I would love to stand up here and preach a kind of sermon that everybody would stand and shout and clap and run around. And I would love to do that. And, and y'all don't, you may or may not know this about me, but I could. I'm not doing that because I don't think that's what every week I haven't felt that's what the Lord wanted me to do. I felt like that, that I have a responsibility as a pastor to make sure that you all know that I tell you. I'm not saying you don't know. But if you don't, I'm telling you. I feel a very heavy burden to make sure that I tell you that Christianity is not syrupy. It's not every, oh, God just loves everybody. I can tell you that God hates things. And I could list out, and probably if I ask you to list the top five things that he hates, you would all have a list, and probably they'd be similar. But I want to tell you what he hates as much as anything else. He hates people like those Pharisees. And you can say God doesn't hate. Call it what you want. But he told them, you ought to know better. Woe unto you. If Jesus says woe unto you, what do y'all think that means? I, I don't want to hear woe. I'd prefer well done. How about you? So that was free. We don't get to hold on some little corner of our heart and keep it for ourselves because God wants all of me. God wants all of you. He now expects us to live his commands and to, and, and to do what he's commanded us to do. And it begins with a heart that is completely surrendered to him. See, people nowadays, you can even get on social media and people will post things like, trust your heart, follow your heart. Well, in my heart, I really feel like I'm this. In my heart, I really believe that I'm this. I'm going to give you some free advice. Don't listen to anything your heart has to say. Nothing. What are you talking about? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You know what you listen to? 
the Holy Spirit. That's what you listen to. The reason where the world's in the shape it's in, too many folks listen to their heart. And you know how I know that's true? Because the, the heart is sinful and the Bible says it's desperately wicked and cannot know him. We do what he says and it begins in the heart. And I want to ask you one more question. So if we are to do what he says and it begins in the heart, then what has Jesus told us to know? And what has he told us to do? If I was to stand up here before you and I was going to say, now, if we were in the presence of Christ right then, and he said, you don't even know this stuff, but you should, what is it that he would tell you and I to do? And, and this, this may sound like a trick question, but I promise you the answer is going to surprise you because the answer is surprisingly easy. And here it goes. Right? Are you all ready? You want to know what God requires of you to do? I mean, really, this is going to floor you. You're going to like, I never heard that before. Here we go. This is so profound. Y'all are going to say, man, Noah's really smart. Here it is. Christopher, are you ready? Here, here we go. This is it. I'm going to read it slow. Make sure you don't miss it. It sounds like this. Love the Lord with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> wow. I mean, even a guy with a nine on a test can get that. Now, if you say, I don't know if that's what he's talking about, tell me if you think this makes sense. See, the Pharisees knew that the word said that. And you say, well, it was the law. Let me prove to you that the Pharisees knew what I just told you. Let me prove to you. The Pharisees would know what the Jews called the Shema. It's spelled S-H-E-M-A, and, 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 and you can find it in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 and 5, and I'm going to read it to you. You all probably know it, but let me read you the Shema. Here it goes. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So when Jesus said, go and learn what this means, He's telling him you should know because the Pharisees committed to memory the first five books of the Bible. You all know what the first five are? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I just read you out of Deuteronomy 6, and he says, you ought to know. See, because he knew in their heart that they knew what the Word said. I'm, I hope you're aware of this, but people in the Old Testament, guess what? They were saved by grace, same as you and I are saved by grace in the New Testament. I, and if, if that's foreign to you, I promise you that's true. Nobody has ever been saved apart from Christ. The Old Testament, they were saved because they believed in the promise of the Messiah that was to come. You and I are saved because we look back upon the cross and we believe that Christ is the Messiah and he came. But everybody did it because they believed God. How was Abraham justified? Because he believed God. See, so these Pharisees, they knew, they knew the law. Then Jesus, Jesus said, you are asking me why I'm helping unfortunate people? Have you never read the law? Do you sense the seriousness of it? I mean, does that make sense? That literally in the Shema that they all quoted, they had no idea what it meant. I'm convinced, church, that there are Tens of thousands of people in churches all over America this morning that have no idea what it means to love the Lord with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, you guys ought to know this, and church, I'm going to tell you, we ought to know it too. Loving God is the number one priority for the people of Israel. 
Brandon, if I could get you to come on up. Let me read you one more passage out of the New Testament to kind of summarize what I hope that, that I've proclaimed to you today. Romans chapter 2, I'm going to read verse 28 and 29. I love this passage. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Now, that's straightforward, right? I mean, that makes sense. Just because you look like a Jew doesn't make you a Jew, right? A person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. Now, I know you know this. I'm going to say it anyway just in case. The sign, of the, the sign of the old covenant, the covenant that God made with Abraham, that he would make him a great nation, the sign was visible in the flesh because of the sign of circumcision, right? Y'all are aware of that? And so here Paul is saying, you're not a Jew just because you're one outwardly. And the true circumcision, in other words, the one that God has called us to is not something that you can see. In other words, you can't mutilate your flesh and it make you something that you're not in the heart. And then he says in verse 29, I love this. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. Do you see that? A person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and it is a circumcision that is of the heart. Circumcision is of the heart by the spirit and not of the letter. And then that man's praise is not from men but from God. Isn't that amazing? Put, if, if you've got it back there, put Romans 2, 28 and 29 up there. I may have, I, it looks like I must have copied Romans 8 instead of Romans 2. That was my fault. That wasn't theirs. I'm going to read it to you just one more time. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart by the Spirit and not the letter. That man's praise is not from him, but from God. Meditate on that today as you go home and whatever you do this afternoon. Meditate on that. Circumcision, true circumcision is of the heart by the spirit. In other words, what he's saying is the way that you are made right with God is not based upon who your parents were. It's not based upon what you do to the flesh but it is determined by the condition of your heart that can only be changed by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And when that Holy Spirit dwells in you, that Spirit changes you, molds you into His image. And it is then and only then can we live out the greatest commandments to love our neighbor as ourselves, and the most important one of all, to love the Lord with all of our heart.